who creates money, the commercial banks or the central banks? We're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into the history of monetary environment. If you're interested in learning more and how money was created, please continue listening. Welcome to the Red the Black podcast hosted by Warner and Mario, two Marine officers and businessmen. In this series boot camp, we're covering the basic foundational building blocks of business. That's key if you want to build these solid, highly profitable businesses. Mario, what are your thoughts? I think commercial banks produce the most amount of money in the world. It's not the central banks. The central banks are trying to encourage commercial banks to lend, but it's fractional lending by commercial banks that are creating the preponderance of currency into the unit, into currency units into the economy. What are your thoughts, Warner? Yeah, that's correct. If you look at like the money supply, a small portion is like dollars and coins. The major portion is all the loans, the lines of credit, the credit cards, the car loans. I mean, behind every car loan, there's the financing department that's connected to a bank or the finance department is a bank, right? So a little backstory on how money was created will help us sort of see why it is that the banks create this money. So let's go back to Egypt and Babylon where guys were literally doing like accounting systems, debits and credits. So it didn't start out as coins. It started out as a guy on like a tablet papyrus drawing a line going, okay, you owe me this. I owe you this. And he did that for the whole village or, and they had multiple multi department or whatever it was, but there was dudes writing lines on pieces of paper and doing credits and debits. And then you fast forward to Europe and they're like, well, that's not going to be the most efficient system because I've got to go to this individual to make a transaction, to record that transaction. It's going to be more efficient if we have this, this medium of exchange, so gold or silver. And it wasn't the value of the gold that really determined the monetary supply or the amount or the exchange rate. It was the fact that gold was a durable, it was a unit of exchange or unit of account. It could clear, uh, your, it could clear your debits and your credits and it was durable. Right. So they used it as this bucket, imagine a gold bucket and you put your value in that bucket and that's how they traded value. And what happened was in Europe that the gold, when you got so much of it, it's like, I can't carry around all this gold. I'm going to leave it with a goldsmith. Right. And they would give you a certificate of deposit. So what the goldsmith started doing was, all right, I have a certificate of deposit. Let's say I have a hundred or a thousand pieces of gold coins. Right. And they said, well, I know all these individuals that gave me these gold coins or lent them to me. They're not going to all come back from the same time. So I'm going to start lending some of these coins out. And then they started thinking and they're like, well, I don't need to lend these coins out. Why don't I lend the promissory notes out? And I can keep the gold here. Not have to worry about, you know, giving a guy gold when he comes back. And then they had another idea, which was illegal because it said in the promissory note, you can't create more value. They said, I'm going to start creating more promissory notes where this is where the fractional reserve banking system was born. And I'm going to start lending out more money. Out of that came the Bank of London, came bonds, came the whole financial system. And what that, the goldsmiths really created from that fractional reserve system that people trusted through the promissory notes, they created their own promissory notes, was the beginning of how money was created by banks in these economies. That was the beginning. It was these goldsmiths taking the promissory notes and taking fractions of them. So if they gave you like a hundred gold coins, you lend out 
90 of them, right? And then that created the Bank of London. And then these banks started just creating money out of thin air through loans, lines of credit, credit cards. And that's where we are today, where really the base money, that that gold or, or the coinage, whatever it is, is really irrelevant. What's really relevant is the banks lending out money to individuals. Now, when they lend out money, the key thing is they're looking for collateral because the banks can go bankrupt, right? Even though they're making this free money, they think, oh, it's just a, it's a, a money party. And I can just like lend out. No, 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 no. They can go. These guys have skin in the game just as much as any other institution. So when they lend out on a house or a business, they're looking for collateral in case that money doesn't come back to them or the individual defaults on that money. Well, same thing. But that's, that's the banking system. So how do they create more money? They create more money based on loans and based on viable individuals that are going to take those loans. And they're going to pay back those loans. That's how money's created. Mario, your thoughts? I think we, I want to tie this to inflation or deflation and kind of bring this down really simple. Is when you see a $3 trillion spending bill into the economy, it's not necessarily inflation. There's not necessarily, it's not inflationary and it's in, in, by itself. The Fed, the Fed lends money to the Treasury. So the U.S. Treasury borrows money from the Fed. The Fed can create digital currency, push it into the, U.S. Treasury and the government can spin that into the economy, and you say, "Well, that's inflationary, three trillion." Well, at the same time, the banking sector—they have commercial mortgage-backed securities, CMBSs—that might be losing three trillion dollars at the same time. So, at the same time, the U.S. government is spending three trillion dollars. The banks are losing three trillion dollars of money that's been created into the system. It's a net wash. There is no inflation. You've, you've had 3 trillion currency notes disappear out of the economy because those mortgage-backed securities are not being paid back to the banks. The money that was created through those loans isn't being paid back. It's being destroyed. Also, if they're not creating new loans, they're, a billion dollars came back to the bank and they're not issuing out another billion dollars. They're paying, they're paying off the Fed or they're moving that money out of the system. That's, they're, they're not creating another loan. That's deflationary. So just because we see that the Fed and the Treasury are creating currency notes doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have inflation, folks. You got you to look at what's happening in the mortgage-backed securities. What's happening in the banks? They're lending less. That's, that's incredibly deflationary, meaning there's less currency units in the economy. Yeah, and that's a great point. And what that points to is we always want to look at where is the majority of the money being created? And that's created by banks lending, whether it's in the form of like car loans, lines of credit, home equity lines of credit, credit cards. Mortgage-backed securities. Mortgage-backed securities. Primarily, it's probably loans. I haven't looked at the numbers. I forget what the numbers say, but we'll do, we'll do a midnight patrol for you guys where we do the accounting deep dives and we'll see who's awake at the end, right? <laughs> so... The point is, is when you're assessing the monetary system, always look at the banks, the commercial banks. They're the ones from the days of the goldsmiths. They're the ones who are saying, hey, I have these deposits on hand. Now, here's the key differentiator, how the Fed works real simply with the banks. The Fed has reserve requirements, which I think are at zero right now, for the banks, for the deposits they get from individuals so they can pay back those deposits. There's not runs on banks. So say, for example... All the deposits from individuals on the market is 10 million. The bank's like, you have to keep a million on hand, 10%, right? In case like there's a run in the banks, you have some money to pay some people that are running, taking their money out of the banks. 
that doesn't apply to loans, that only applies to the bank deposits. But bank loans, which is another form of kind of bank deposit because it, it, it credits money into your account, right? That's not created by people making money through employment and coming in and depositing their money. That's created by the bank out thin air going, I'm going to issue a new loan because this guy's he's good. He'll pay it back. He's got the collateral. He's got the track record. That's how the majority of the money is created. So what are you seeing right now when interest rates are really low? Stephen Van Meter talks about this. You're seeing an environment where there's not a lot of bank lending. And that's what interest rates are telling you. When interest rates are high, there's a lot of bank lending because they're trying to pull it back, right? There's so many, there's so many loans. They're like, I can't handle any more of these loans. I got to get interest rates higher. When interest rates are lower, there's less lending. So that's what we're seeing in the economy. So what me and Mario, these are our kind of assumptions because we haven't looked at the numbers. But what we're seeing in terms of this inflation, I think it's a supply shock and fear because of the sickness, which is causing this inflation. So you're having like multiple things going on. A lot of businesses have been put out because of this sickness, put out business. And this was a lot of people not working. So their employer became the federal government when Mario said the Fed lend the money to the treasury and the treasury paid the money to these individuals for the business that aren't working. That's a mouthful. You might have to rewind that to figure that whole chain backwards. But that is what's going on. So it's just a transfer of, of payment from private sector paying the individuals to the government paying the individuals. So it's like, that's where it's saying it's kind of a mute point, guessing. Now you have supply shock. We don't know. The, the reality is, Warren, we'll never know. You don't have, you don't know every bank's, you don't, you're not able to calculate what banks are creating and what's being lost in the bank in real time. You can kind of put it together with some of the bigger banks and knowing, oh, they're not doing well. They're, they're commercial mortgage-backed securities are losing right now. It's a huge loss in banks right now, but the exact dollar amount at the exact time and then comparing it to how much money is coming in the system, you don't know. You can, you can make some educated guesses, but you don't know exactly. And our, what, we're, what we're speculating, what Warner is speculating is we're not in hyperinflation because the banks are losing and not creating more loans. Yeah, the Fed is issuing money to the treasury and the treasury is spending that in the economy. 60% of the GDP of our country in the United States is government spending. At the same time, the banks are pulling back loans. The banks are not getting their money back from people who have borrowed it. They're taking assets back that aren't worth what they, they, they lent on them. They were optimistic in the good times. They lent a bunch of money. Now that that, that asset has potentially been firebombed by rioters and it's worthless and the people have gone, oh, I'm not paying it back. You have it. You take it back. They threw, the, they threw the keys, the proverbial keys on the counter and said, you have a bank. The bank just lost money. The bank just took money they didn't have, fractional lending. They lent it out on that building. They're not being paid back. There's less money in the system. Yeah, and it's like Mario brought up a great point. It's so hard to tell because you know you, you you can tell sort of by common sense. If you drive around LA, you see most of these businesses like leases are not are gone, tenants are gone, buildings are empty. You're going, I wonder who's paying that. No one's paying that. How are they servicing the debt? If there's nobody in, the, if there's no shoppers in there and there's nobody leasing it, how are they servicing the debt? The reality is on most of those properties, they're not. The bank is tucking it. It's basically in receivership or it's in some, it's in a transition between the owners and the bank. And the reality is, is that is contracting the money supply. Exactly. And, and this is our assumption. Like Mario said, we can't really tell because it, no one's tracking all this. It's impossible. Then number two, so why are we seeing prices increase? Well, it's because in our opinion, my opinion, 
it's because of supply shocks. Cause people like, I'll give you an example on the ground. I was in South Dakota last weekend and for rapid city all the way to the Sturgis, which is like uh, 30, 40 miles away and 30, 40 miles the other direction. There's one dude delivering ice for the entire city. That is not efficient ice operation. It's like crushed ice that you'd see. I went to multiple different gas stations. By third gas station, I found two container, open one empty with ice, open the other one, the freezer, it had like a quarter of the ice left. I'm hearing this like through property managers, they're lowering their standards to get people to come work for them. So what we're seeing right now is labor shocks and that are causing supply shocks. And then, and then because of all these shutdowns, goods aren't coming as fast. So it's inflating prices. That's what I assume is happening. It's a, it's a supply shock, labor shock issue as the monetary supply is maybe being blamed for. So everyone's like, go to gold. But we talked about another podcast, gold to commodity. So there's the reason why we talk about all this stuff is it's really good to know about your economy. But at the end of the day, if you don't know about any of that and you don't care about any of that, just focus on one thing, one thing alone. Pick highly profitable businesses that pay you to own them and have been around for a while and invest in those businesses. Why would you want to kind of know about the economy? Well, you want to know is that business with the way the economy is going, is that business kind of marrying up with that economy? Is it going to work? That's why you want to know about the economy because you want to know now you pick the business going out into the future. Is this business going to work in that type of environment? Are they making the moves if it's not to move to other environments where it will work? That's why you want to know about economic environments, Intel. That's why we teach it. So any final thoughts, Mara? Two gentlemen to study for, for my autistic nephews out there that have the time and the and the intelligence to put this together is Peter Thiel and Jim Rickards. Those two gentlemen, I don't think anybody knows exactly how this is going to play out. Warren and I don't claim to know exactly how this is going to play out, but both of those gentlemen are very interesting. They've got very interesting data at their disposal, and they're making very interesting moves. Uh, one owns a farm in the mountains. One owns a, a homestead in New Zealand. Uh, they, you know... They're both very data driven. They're both they're piped into um, to resources and, and data sets that enable them to make uh, predictions about the future, and they happen to be right a lot. So I'd, I'd I'd study those two gentlemen if I were a betting man, which I am, and I am studying Peter Thiel and Jim Rickards. Those are the guys I'd look at right now for the next uh, five to ten years. Thanks for your time, Warner. Appreciate it. Yeah, those are great points, and thank you guys for listening. Subscribe to the podcast, like and comment because that helps us get this out to the world. And as always, we look forward to connecting with you in the future.